You're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade, I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilizing my background in midwifery and teaching, and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week, we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Today's guest is Stacey, an Australian mama of two. She shares about her traumatic first birth where there were unnecessary time constraints, threats of caesarean, pressure to agree to have syntocinin to speed things up, episiotomy, von Tuss, and unnecessary separation from her newborn. Stacey's next pregnancy involved a lot of soul searching, self-discovery, trauma healing, and communication with her baby. She describes the potent work she did with an amazing birthkeeper and ultimately decided that a free birth was the right path for her and her baby. Get ready for the powerful and emotional journey that Stacey takes us on in generously sharing her story. Welcome Stacey to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast. Um, Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yay. Okay, well, let's just crack straight into this because I'm dying to hear your story. Um, And perhaps if you can begin with sharing about your journey into motherhood and kind of the key things that made that a bit of a traumatic venture for you. And it's always a hard thing to lean into, isn't it? Where do I start? Where does the story begin? Because at the time of the birth, it felt pretty intense but you're so elated that first time you hold your baby and all of those hormones that flood your body, it, it's much later on maybe for some people that you realise, okay, what happened in that moment didn't sit right, but it didn't come to my awareness until much later. So I knew that I wanted to have a normal, natural, physiological, undisturbed birth and I've been you know, very passionate about health for many years. My husband and I ran a nutrition business um, online for many years and we also ran our own podcast and we interviewed many doctors from all over the world and we got lots of insights into all of these amazing ways to prep yourself for pregnancy, you know, consciously conceive your baby. And so our whole journey together was very deliberate. And so I thought I had done all the prep I thought I'd nailed, you know, a star with my preparation for for my labor and for my birth. Um, but I had decided, and I guess we can go into this more after I share this, but I had decided to birth in a local hospital 
privately because I'd been paying my private healthcare and I wanted to get the rebate. So there was kind of a, a financial drive there, but then also knowing that it was the most safe place for my husband. And again, we can unpack that, I'm sure. Um, at the time with some of the fears that he had coming up around birth and wanting us to be in the safest in inverted commas place. Um, so at the time, my birth experience felt okay, but there were definitely things that happened through that experience that now when I look back, I go, that wasn't what I wanted. And I was even quite empowered in that process because I had a private midwife who I'd had con continuity of care throughout my entire pregnancy. I had done a hypnobirthing course and, you know, educated myself, read lots of books and, and tried to understand what birth is. I mean, there's so many different versions of it, but what normal birth looks like and how I could have the experience where I would be unmedicated and have an undisturbed non-intervention experience. And what ended up happening was that maybe I was a bit cocky, so I'm taking full responsibility for some of this. I thought I was going to be so fine and everyone else was telling me I was going to be so fine, fit, young, active, healthy, and I was going to put my baby out in two hours, maybe even an accidental home birth was on the cards or whatever, and it didn't end up that way. It was a 30-plus hour labour, which is normal, <laughs> a variation of normal. Um, and I was very happy being unmedicated. I did most of that labouring at home. But there were certain things that happened through that experience that then once we got to the hospital and my baby wasn't coming in a timely fashion, <laughs> that things started to happen and comments started to get made and emphasis on time or how I was endangering my baby or the fact that I should just, you know, make the decision to go get the cesarean now so that it was a conscious decision rather than a rushed emergency decision later. Um, baby's heart rate was dropping. You know, even when we would ask for certain things, it was like, I wouldn't do that if I were you kind of suggestions. And we had a doula. So, you know, lots of things that we'd kind of set ourselves up for what we thought would be success. And I think the biggest thing at the end of the day was that in doing a lot of those courses or partnering with certain healthcare practitioners and going to the hospital, I'd given away my power way before I even realized, way before. Yeah. You're not led to believe that though, are you? And hiring that doula or, you know, um, paying for that private midwifery care, you're, you know, the, the messaging is that we will support you to have the birth that you're seeking. But there's a real uh, gap between that messaging and the reality of the power dynamics that are at play, of who believes who's responsible for the uh, the course of your birth and the decision-making that gets uh, becomes part of that journey. Do you feel like when you were at home, it was all going sweet? Or were there even things at home and perhaps messaging that you had unwittingly taken on board during your pregnancy that led your experience at home to not even be, you know, empowering or what you needed it to be, I guess? I think the latter, yeah. I think things happened during my pregnancy and the way that I 
like I take a lot of radical responsibility in this whole situation because it was up to me to release my power without knowing it because the people that I had in my birth team were doing the best they could with the tools they had and they're amazing human beings. And so I never want to kind of accuse anybody of anything or take that away from them, but they're working in a system that's working against them. Yeah, yeah. And I get so emotional thinking about that because they're amazing human beings and they know the system is broken. And one of them now has actually kind of removed herself from the system, I think, because she just knows she can't. It's like fighting a losing battle. You know, her messaging, now I see, having gone through a more healing experience, her messaging is pure and clear. And if I misinterpreted that, it's probably societal. It's probably so ingrained into our system that her teaching her hypnobirthing course was not going to allow me to get outside of that. And I needed that experience in order to figure out how to get the healing. Um, But, yeah, so at home I was very supported. It was a really lovely experience at home. I had a birth photographer slash videographer there who also became like a a really supportive person in that environment. Um, The private midwife was lovely. She came to the house and and just to see how I was. Um, But then the thing that kind of felt uncomfortable was she left without talking to me and maybe she thought she was just like giving me space and going away, but I'm the sort of person that I need to have that conversation. And if somebody's kind of left without talking to me in that liminal phase, I feel, I felt abandoned in hindsight. Like at the time I was like, well, why is the midwife left? I need her here. Like, you know, I, she's meant to be looking after me. (laughs) And now I know that I I should have been looking after myself more. Um, but I didn't know that you didn't have to have vaginal checks. I didn't know, like there were things that I still wasn't aware of or maybe understood the significance of why that would derail my journey. Um, you know, spinning babies did way too much spinning babies should have just hung out and relaxed and just let my body do what it needed to do. Um, rather than trying to interfere. And I guess these are all parts of my lesson in my journey. I see that. But one of the things that the midwife did say before she left was um, to my husband and my doula, um, when Stacey's waters release or when Stacey's waters break, come to the hospital. They didn't. (laughs) And they did it for like both of my labours now. I've got two daughters. And my waters don't release until I'm like just before transition from my two experiences. So I'm, I'm in water, I'm more relaxed and all of a sudden I feel a pop and then first situation, baby didn't come down, but there's more to share on that. Second situation, the pop happened and my baby was here down and out within like an hour or so. So it happens right at the pointy end for me. So hearing that from from the doula or or my husband and it not happening. I'm like, well, I'm vomiting. I know I'm really like things are really exacerbating in terms of like getting close to to meeting my baby or or needing some other support if baby's not coming. So we should probably go to the hospital now, but I don't know when that time is. And I guess just having that interruption. But the warning signs that came from both my beautiful doula and this amazing midwife, like I speak very highly of them because they're amazing human beings, but they both were encouraging home birth throughout my pregnancy and I did not pay attention to, like they can't tell you, right? They can't say, if you want to avoid intervention, stay home. But now I can see that they, they had my best interests at heart and I was not paying attention to the signs. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, I would kind of dispute that, I guess, um, that that's not the role of a doula or midwife to inform you that the likelihood of interventions is much lower if you choose to birth at home. I mean, this is what the research, the evidence shows. And I think part of providing um, informed care um, and enabling, um, you know, clients to choose where and how and with whom they'll give birth is providing that sort of um, that information. But I also... I totally hear you on, you know, that you speaking really highly of your midwife and your doula. Um, and, and yeah, I'm kind of like, I get it, you know, like these are amazing people doing their best to provide the utmost of care and support that they feel capable of providing under a system that just doesn't get what safety in birth really means and what autonomy in birth really means and the rights of birthing people to choose their, their birthing journey. So, you know, they are often sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place and there will be a lot of their own fears, um, conditioning, um, you know, etc. to unpack um, in order to be able to be kind of that radical support I guess that that we really do need from our, our our birth care providers when we are choosing to birth outside of sort of mainstream care I guess so yeah I I love hearing you taking this self-responsibility you know I mean and I love that you it's not you seeking to to blame to put blame onto anybody around how your birth unfolded and I also love hearing you sort of talk about how you see your journey as an opportunity to learn and to grow and um, I mean so often it does take having you know making the mistakes having the having the traumas or the the hurts to actually realize what we didn't know before and realize what we need in order to to grow and learn from that and to not repeat those same mistakes and can I share something off the back of that Carla Please, because yeah in hearing you say that it's reminded me that I choose I'm a sort of person that chooses to see the blessing in every challenging situation and if I had had an extremely easy it's never easy but extremely smooth no intervention hospital birth I couldn't do the work that I feel like I'm here to do. Like I want to educate other mums and I'm so passionate about that or other pregnant people to know that there are options. If I hadn't had that traumatic hospital birth, I wouldn't have chosen my healing home birth to show people that they don't have to go through what I did. They can make the, the decision to have the home birth straight away and to not have to go through the trauma or to not have to deal with the system, the broken system that is so fucked up. Sorry, but it's just, it's a mess. And there are other ways. There there are other ways of educating ourselves. There are other ways of empowering ourselves. And I think the more we talk about this, the more we can, I know New Zealand has a much better 
system. I've got some friends over there who, who've been sharing about, you know, their, she just had a birth in a beautiful centre that was like being away home away from home. And I'm like, wow, that sounds magical. If it exists, why can't we make it happen here in Australia? And that's why it's so important to speak out about this rather than just be like, oh, yeah, I've, I've birthed my babies now. I'll quietly heal my trauma in the corner and, and deal with that. No, I need to speak about it so that the next pregnant mama that's like, yeah, I'm fine, I've got this, like, okay, but have you looked at X, Y, Z? And, you know, are you birthing in the hospital because your birthing partner is scared of what might happen if things go wrong? Or do you need to actually take power of that and go, no, I'm the one birthing the baby. I need to feel safe. Sorry, not sorry. Love you, babe. But this is where I need to birth my baby. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, the people who kind of tend to listen to these stories are the ones who have had a shitty experience and they, you know, um, I, I kind of talk about this with um, with the, you know, the women who I train around birth trauma support and that is um, that we can't provide support unless it's being asked for, unless it's being sought. We can't, you know, step in. We're not there to rescue people, right? Like, <laughs> um, and... I use the example, and, and that can be really, really hard, when we can see somebody is, like, thinking they've done the work or thinking they're all sorted for their their, their birth that they're, they're after, and we kind of know that chances are they're going to be walking into a bit of a shitstorm. Um, but unless I'm ready to hear what you have to say, uh, you know, it's not really our place. So often it does take people having to experience their own trauma to realise what we're talking about here. And, I, yeah, I use the example of my um, my daughter who, when she was a teenager, was going through a really, really, she was in a really um, toxic relationship that was causing her to become really mentally unwell herself. And as much as you can try and explain to, to them that, you know, what's going on isn't healthy and these are the reasons why, you know, um, I'd really encourage you to get out of this relationship, et cetera. They, she, needed to, she needed to go on that journey herself. She needed to hit rock bottom. She needed to, you know, go super, super downhill in order to... Um, to learn that lesson for herself and it's the hardest thing as a mama watching you know just knowing that like there's I mean so much you can do people are gonna go down their path um but yeah I I like to think that that some people are going to stumble across these stories and have these aha moments and avoid that trauma in the first place but if not, then just hearing these stories for somebody who's experienced a traumatic start to, to motherhood can just be just so encouraging and enlightening, informative and inspirational. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of emotion there from you, Stacey, and I just, you know, aren't women fucking amazing the way they just want to love on each other and support one another and hold each other up and, and yeah show each other the way so just yeah thank you yeah it's it's something that I am very passionate about now and I guess 
having been through two very polar opposite black and white birth experiences and even my husband will say the same now you know after what we went through in the hospital and I'll go into a little bit more detail in a moment so that people aren't like well what happened um you know then when I said I want a home birth he was like yep sounds good like sign me up you know so it, it actually made the decision a lot easier the second time around um but so once we got to the hospital um I had a few things that I wanted to like have in place. So, you know, I was wearing blue blocking sunglasses because I knew that the bright lights from the hospital may affect, you know, my hormones. And and so I I put a few things in place and I knew that I didn't care what anyone thought of me at that point. I was just, you know, (laughs) heavily into, into deep into labor, but there were things around, like I didn't want to drink tap water from the hospital I wanted to bring our own water from the car but it didn't get brought up and so there were probably now in hindsight like silly things like I should have just drank the water that was there because I obviously was making myself dehydrated and my hubby or my doula didn't go back down to the car to get the water so that I could keep drinking what I needed to drink so it got to the point where I got fairly dehydrated I was sitting on a birth stool and there was definitely some encouragement to push um not sure where from, but like just that, that was happening at that time. And and I'm sitting on the birth stool and I got told that the head was visible. Now my waters, bearing in mind my waters had not released yet. So we now understand that that wasn't my baby's head. There's no way it could have been. It was the bag yeah. pushing. So things were close-ish. Um, so I got in the water, which felt amazing and kind of wish I'd been in there for a lot earlier because that would have been pain relief. Um, but you've got rules and you have to be certainly certain a certain way dilated before you're allowed to get into the water um and that's when my water's released and then there was a lot of coach pushing like your baby's almost here your baby's almost here keep going keep going and I have no idea how long I was in the water but it was a fairly long time and so I was encouraged to get back out another check um and I was in kind of the you know the non-intervention side of the hospital at this point like low risk birth center um but they wanted a second opinion. So they had an obstetrician come and have a look and they said that the baby was stuck and that it was best, I was dehydrated, my uterus had slowed down and it was best that I move over to the other side of the hospital so that they could put me on an IV and potentially prep me for cesarean. Yeah, like straight there, like straight to that option. And so we were like, whoa, 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 what are the steps in between? Like give us some other options here. And obviously Doula's advocating for that as well because she knows that that's what we want. Um, And and my husband and I had a chat and we're like, let's just go IV. All I need is hydration. Hydrate me because I'm ready to keep going. Like I I will fight till the very end, you know. Um, But then they start strapping all of the stuff on to monitor baby's heart rate and um that was where one of the comments came of uh, we, we said about the IV and just the IV and they're like, look, if you're not going to go straight for cesarean, you need IV and syntocin on because we need to keep things moving. You've oh. been in labour for X amount of time. You have to you have to get this baby out in X amount of time. And we were like, do we really though? Like what, you know, will you let us do this? And and this lady was like, look, I think you should just go for cesarean. Like she kept kind of pushing. For them. I'm like, no, that's not on the cards right now. I'm fine. Baby's fine. I'm going to keep going. But so they originally eventually talked me into IV with Syntocin on. And for anyone that's had 
um, Syntocin on without a, um, oh my gosh, epidural. Yeah. That is intense. Yeah. That is so intense. And so the instructions at that point were okay, we've got the IV. The Syntocin on needs half an hour to just get into your system. Don't do any pushing. <laughs> um, my body's going through contractions very regularly. And apparently, I'm not allowed to do anything with my body. So I was just kind of left there in the room with my doula and my hubby, um, allowing that half an hour of syntoxin on to flood my system. And then I was given half an hour to push the baby out. And if it didn't do it, then I had to go for an emergency Caesar. And my husband wouldn't be allowed to be there. There would be no vaginal seating. Um, none of my wishes would be there because it would be an emergency. They need to get the baby out really quickly by then. Wow, talk about fear-mongering. Holy shit. Yes. And, and at the time, you know, you're just in it. You're just like, okay, well, this is what's happening and you're making the decisions best you can. But the more I've thought about this and shared my story, the more I'm like, that's actually not okay. And even, you know, the attitude from one of the OBs of like, you should just go for a cesarean. I'm like, you can see on my birth wishes that that's not an option for me unless it's like, and like, I get that that's there for a reason, but I was actually more fearful of the recovery from a Caesar than I was from birthing my baby vaginally like I was so determined to do it. and all the research I'd done and knowing how much better that was going to be for me and baby if we could do it yeah. um fate had it that this OB had to go in and do another Caesar and the the um like registrar whoever's the kind of boss OB came in um and came and had a chat with me and said you know we're going to monitor you now you've got your half hour of pushing time we've got the little I think they put the screw on baby's head at that point. I don't even remember, but if they did, I just maybe I've blocked that from my mind because that's mutilation and I don't even like the idea of that. But, yeah, they they definitely kind of were checking on baby and were voicing that we need to keep an eye on baby's heart rate. Now, I now know from reading Rachel Reed's book, it's normal for the baby's heart rate to change during labour. <laughs> that's physiological birth. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're following these orders that are not even true, they think they're true, they're not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, but there's a, a break or a, a mismatch in the education in the system. And so within, within three or four contractions in my half hour of allowed pushing to get my baby out, apparently the baby's heart rate was too low and we had to get the baby out. So this registrar laid me back down again. She said, we really need to get the baby out now. The baby is in distress. There was no meconium. There was no, like it was just basing it on the heart rate situation. I was still fine. I was still happy to keep going. Um, she said, I am comfortable to do a vacuum assist if you're okay with that. I was like, yes, I want this baby to come out my vagina. Whatever we need to do now, right? I'm being saved. Yay. Fate has it, right? I shouldn't even have to be using this language of like, thank goodness this OB came to my rescue to help me pull my baby out of my vagina. So she asked me if I wanted an episiotomy. I said, no, I've been doing some epi, epi no training um, with <laughs> even now I'm like, oh, osteo would have been better or like self-massage would have been better. Um, and so she managed to get the vacuum in. We had two contractions She'd given me the brief, you've got three pushes to get the baby out, like three contractions to get the baby out. And then we're going for this emergency Caesar. So 
two pushes and she said, okay, great. You're doing wonderful. There's a lot of movement here, but I really need more space. Please. Can I do the, the snip, the appeasement? Yeah. And I'm like, I've only got one more push. I'm like, do what you got to do. We need to get this baby out. So she snips, she gives me a quick local snips and then I push and we get the head out. Now I've seen the video from the other side. I don't know how much of that I was actually doing because the baby was coming out a lot faster than she wanted to. Um, we had a videographer there who managed to get it all on, on video. Um, the baby's head's out, but I've done my three pushes and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it's done. It's over. We've got to go for the season. They're like, no, your baby's half out. Like you need to do one more push. And so we managed to get kind of her body out or I managed to get her body out. And then they tried to bring her up to my chest and her umbilical cord was quite short. So rather than resting her on me and allowing her like low on my belly and allowing her to come to, they snipped her, they took her away, mm -hmm. they put her under the light, shaking her and getting her to, to cry a lot faster than she wanted to. So she was taken away. Mm -hmm. She was brought back within a couple of minutes, but how babies are born, we know indicates like their personalities. It, it molds them as to who they are and how they show up in the world. So not only did I have the trauma, but my poor baby had the trauma as well. Um, but because we didn't know the gender, so there was the excitement behind like my husband going, it's a girl. And then, you know, me shouting out her name as she's being taken away. And then just, you know, they bring her back and they put her on me and I'm, I'm nuzzling her and getting her to, to feed and she's fine. And then you're, you're made to kind of think, oh, I'm so grateful my baby is alive and I'm so grateful my baby is here and I'm well. And so it's like the trauma gets brushed under the carpet almost because you've got to be grateful. So I guess skipping ahead to knowing that this happened as it was meant to or seeing the blessings in this situation my daughter is happy she's healthy she had no physical trauma from the experience we've since done a lot of craniosacral therapy and the separation anxiety that she had experienced from that trauma that I didn't realize was a thing until we started going for craniosacral therapy I watched before my very own eyes she's a very calm and happy young woman <laughs> because she has had a lot of skin to skin in her early days she's been breastfed on demand you know she's like um, she's never really seen a doctor in her life she's like such a since that time you know she's a very healthy little human and I think that's all been in good stead for her and the preconception work like we are very blessed that she's unharmed from that situation because so much could have gone wrong from that birth experience being so intervened with. And I do wonder sliding doors wise, what would have happened if I had chosen to have the birth at home. And I don't beat myself up about that because I know everything happened as it was meant to for me to have these lessons. And I actually didn't have postpartum trauma or postpartum de depression because I was so excited to be a mum and I looked after myself and I nourished myself and I had my sacred window and I, I put all of those things in place to support myself there. But again, it could have been a lot worse. And so I think that's why my trauma only came out 
when I was pregnant or getting pregnant for the second time. Um, and that's when my healing really began. Stacey, was that really your first true understanding that what you went through in that first birth experience was actually not okay and that you were left with residual unresolved trauma from that was that the first time you really understood that was when you became pregnant again and were looking to you know that plan your next birth or, or did you know did you know at the time did you sort of see it for what it was earlier on I had an instinct, but I was too busy getting on with life to give it too much energy. The transition into new motherhood, even though I, I wanted it so much, it's it's that fine dance with your partner of who's got what responsibilities and you're navigating all that newness together. And I definitely had a couple of debriefs. My doula came over to to see me in my postpartum and we had a debrief about it and, you know, unpacked it and then and then the more kind of sciencey debrief with the midwife about, you know, she reads through the notes. Um, but I definitely felt like there were gaps and things that I remember happening that weren't in the notes per se. And because it's hard for them to take notes whilst they're doing the do, um, so it is all written in hindsight and, and after the event, but I'm sure, you know, it's somebody could have the exact same birth experience as me, but if they felt like they had made all of the choices in each step of the way, they are still empowered. And I didn't feel like I was getting to make those choices. Even though I consented, there was a lot of coercion going on. Um, And so I definitely knew that something was up. And we originally had wanted to have our second a lot closer together um, than we ended up. Um, Again, I think fate and and universe had a lot to do with the, the timeline on that and it all happened perfectly. But there was definitely a bit of a block for me in mm-hmm. rushing into that. Did you have conversations with your husband or your man about um, about what that birth experience was for you? Um, about those that that feeling of being coerced or bullied into into having interventions that you didn't feel were necessary or that you didn't want or was this kind of like a well yeah like that that rhetoric that you described when your baby was first born you know like um I felt I just should be grateful you know Mm. our baby was there and and of course you're kind of so busy with learning to be parents that often the the trauma the difficult conversations the unpacking of the true story as it was for you and and for him um does get sort of swept under the carpet it's uh, like no I haven't got the capacity to kind of even deal with that at the moment um but yeah did you have a conversation with him around any of that or was this all kind of left till next baby we definitely had chats I'm a bit of a a talker (laughs) I don't know if you could tell Um, And I'm very blessed with a husband that also communicates quite well if I initiate those conversations. Um, So we have quite an open relationship in that way. And what I actually asked him to do, so I recorded my birth story as an audio for myself 
And so I often listened back to it. And then I still had the video that the videographer had made. So I got to experience times where I would keep listening or keep watching. And every time the tears would come and the discomfort would come and I knew that it was part of my healing. Um, But I got him to also record an audio of his perspective of the whole thing. And it does sound like a drama. It's like even hearing the way that he experienced firsthand trauma, he was watching me you know, he, he was like, am I going to lose my wife? Am I going to lose my baby? Because of the way that they were acting and how it was an emergency, even though it wasn't an emergency. So it's crazy to think what happened didn't really probably need to be that way. Mm-hmm. But because of where we were and the past traumas that these people have gone through that's probably gone unhealed, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do see all of the bad stuff and I get that and that's dreadful. But then how much is it? how much is it being caused by the situation yes that it self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing Um, another thing that i was also very blessed with is that my doula um and i because of what i'd been through decided to run some women's circles for new mums and so it felt like it was almost partly for my own (laughs) benefit but we all got to share our birth stories with our babies there with other women who have been through other similar things in circle together and, and then did kind of like a closing of the bones on each other with the babies running around. And so things like that where I just I immerse myself in those sorts of environments um, to help the collective healing. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Actually, you know, like I and I believe um, that involving our babies like you said you know you held these women's circles with everybody brought their babies and you know supported one another I really believe that when we involve our babies in our healing journey that our healing becomes their healing too um so yeah I I understand what you were saying before about um, you know how our babies are born impacts their lives and their their view on things, and you know it can have ongoing consequences. And yes, I I do, I, I believe that too. But I also I also believe that they can do the healing that we can do alongside us if we um, support them to do that. If we if we let them be part of our own healing journey yeah yeah I agree that's so beautiful I I totally agree and then I guess kind of so coming through to to my second baby um in answer to your question around unpacking that trauma a bit more when I partnered up with a birth keeper and I had decided to home birth like you know night and day black and white hubby was on board before he even got pregnant that that was going to happen as soon as I peed on the stick and got the positive I knew who my originally private midwives were going to be for my home birth and there's a bit of a story here too and then my birth keeper so I contacted both of them immediately because I knew that they were very busy and um yeah let them know that I was pregnant and that I was keen and from the moment that I met with my birth keeper I knew she has such a powerful belief in women's ability to birth their babies that I knew she was the person. And I wasn't even going to say in good hands because she just keeps giving you back your power time and time again. She never takes it away. 
but she holds space so beautifully. And she, you know, made me realize that it wasn't okay what happened and that there is still trauma there and that it needs to be healed before baby comes down because otherwise she then has to move through all of that. And so that was when it was really like brought to my attention how deep that was and even things I might not want to hear, like what my own birth was like. So speaking to my mother, having that difficult conversation of like, okay, what was my birth like? How did I enter the world? What healing needs to be done there? What's my first sexual encounter like? Um, have I been through any sexual trauma? What's my view on menopause? Like all of these rites of passage that I never even thought of and it just blew my mind and allowed this whole new level of healing to occur. Mm, amazing. How did you unpack that? Was that with, with this birth keeper um, person or was this through journaling or through sitting in circle with other women or through reading? Like what... What means did you utilize to kind of do that healing work? I'll share my birth keeper's name because I think she's quite well known in our Please in do. our field. <laughs> um, so the amazing Michelle Palacia, she has done a lot of work in the home birth world. I mean, a lot of work in the birth world anyway. Um, but I just knew that she was who I wanted to work with and I'd seen some of the things that she had been doing and some of the circles she had been hosting. And so initially it was just one-on-one with Michelle. Um, but I was still kind of facilitating my own women's circles and inviting that sort of conversation and invitation to share. Um, journaling, I was a massive fan of educating myself with books that I hadn't even come across yet, like, you know, Sonny Carl's book and um, Placenta, The Forgotten Chakra, like some of the ones that just are a bit more underground that you're like, oh, my gosh, you need somebody to tell you about it. They're like $40 a book and so worth every dollar. And so I just immersed myself in all of this and every birth story I read was just music to my ears because I was like the more I can see how this is possible, the more I know that I can do it even though I've got all the fear coming up because I haven't done it on my own before and knowing so many women have have done it before me but also towards the end of my pregnancy um, Michelle came and we did kind of like a creative arts outlet like clay building with some crystals and kind of like a ceremony and she just had me talk and share and we kind of linked some dots together of some things that have happened over my life that were reasons for why I show up in certain ways and blocks that might have been happening in my body. And I had a massive release when I kind of connected all those dots with her holding that space, um, that realisation that we came to together. But then also I did some um, osteopathy and internal work. So she helped me to really release my vaginal wall and to really connect my breath to my vagina because I've been doing the breath exercises and this very kind of regimented, this is how you inhale, this is how you exhale, but really... I, you know, I'm a yoga and meditation practitioner, but I still just hadn't connected my vagina to my breath in the way that she was able to help me release and open everything up and, and then revisit that during the labour and the birth to allow my baby to work her way down a clear mm. path, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. So what was your plan for this birth? In, in Australia, I mean, here in New Zealand, we can choose to birth at home and have, you know, a midwife, a home birth midwife um, support us in that. Um, and this is all all free of charge. This is all under the public health, healthcare system. Um, I know that it's 
not quite the same in Australia. So talk us through that a little. Yeah, so in order to home birth with a midwife present, it costs thousands of dollars, which I had saved up the money for with this conscious conception journey that we were on. And that was, you know, another reason why potentially there was a delay um, because we need to make sure we had enough money. And so I had enlisted the the support of a beautiful private midwifery company here in Brisbane. And I'd been doing my, you know, antenatal appointments and, and loving this connection and this relationship that I was building with this lovely lady. And there was something that just kind of kept niggling away at me. I was seeing Michelle sharing more and more about wild pregnancy and free birth. And I didn't know what these words were. They were not in my field of awareness. I was like, if you want a home birth, you have to have a medical professional present like that. I just assumed I didn't know any different. And I said to her, what, what's this all about kind of free birthing? And, and you've got a, an online women's circle. I'd love to be a part of it so I can learn more about it and figure out if this is for me, because I'm just, I'm feeling this pull that I can't explain to explore this. And she's like, well, we can chat more about it. Like, what do you need to know? I, I can answer any questions that you have, or, or I can point you in the direction of places you can go research, but you can't come to the women's circle because it's for women who are free birthing. Right. Which is fair enough because, you know, it's it's the isolating journey of, yeah, bringing those women together. Yeah. But part of me kind of had this feeling of like, but I need, I need to be in that circle. So we then had to choose, am I free birthing or not, in order to be part of this online women's circle. And so I sat with myself in ceremony. I listened to some of Jane Hardwick Collings' drumming meditations and I had a cacao and I had my journal and my el- my eldest was out with my hubby and I literally sat there in ceremony with my big pregnant belly I would have been six six-ish moons deep into the pregnancy and up till that point I'd had one scan um, but I then was learning more about not wanting to do that so I stopped after that um, again everyone will choose their own journey that was the one that felt right for us and it was an overarching, like that connection with my baby at that time, it was an overarching, fuck yes, mum, we are free birthing. This is what we need to do. And I could not explain why or, or what, you know, it's not even words. It was just a, a knowing. And I did some journaling about the fears that were coming up because they weren't my baby's fears. My baby was like, this is what we're doing, mum. We need this. This is our growth. This is the direction we're heading in. And this is how I want to be born. And I could not say no to that that indescribable feeling and that knowing and so some of the fears that were coming up were hubby um were you know what other people would think (laughs) that age-old judgment um so a lot of other people's fears like I knew I would be okay as long as I did all, all the prep that I felt I needed to do the waves of fear would come and that's just normal and then I would do my things to help ground me and bring me back to knowing um, and so he got home and we had a big chat about it. And he's like, if this is what you want to do, Stace, this is what we're going to do. Wicked. <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> and it was beautiful. And as part of that prep, we did Karen Strange's neonatal um, resus course. And, you know, not essential, but useful in empowering us to know that, you know, we could make the decisions we needed in any given moment for our baby. Um, But we just, we really armed ourselves. We did everything 
possible in the lead up to baby's arrival and it still didn't feel like enough but she gave us a, a good long you know full term <laughs> they like to cook long so she she gave us the extra time that we needed to, to get our, our all the lessons learned all of the things that we needed um, out of the experience and to prep my daughter for the experience because yeah we gave her the option to be present for her sister's birth and it was just magical I mean I, I have you know a two-week kind of on off or I have had with both of these these pregnancies and and labors an on off kind of start to my labors um mm -hmm. the body getting getting me ready and so by the time pregnancy uh, labor actually comes like and I'm in the pointy end of like it's happening today I'm still second guessing it because I'm like I don't know because I've had this for two weeks now on off on off um which is a normal variation right um and knowing that it had happened before, it was easier to surrender into that. So I think, you know, if I could go back and tell my first laboring self something, it would probably be time is is a made up factor. Like don't even think about the time, just surrender, literally surrender to what is like, just be as comfortable and happy as you can doing things that bring you joy because your baby will come out yes. and the more relaxed you are about the whole thing like I know it's exciting but the more relaxed you are the more likely it is to just flow so the morning of my kind of more active contractions um yeah I went through all of the the things like the nesting like okay hubby you need to vacuum this mess but no we need to go for a walk but no I need to get in the water okay you need to like put water in the birth pool right now and you're like okay today's the day <laughs> and not having to go anywhere was the most incredible gift I could have given our family we went for a walk in the sunshine <laughs> like these are happy tears mm -hmm. we went for a walk in the sunshine we yeah I got in the bath and and just hung out with with the water like on my belly hosing it onto my belly um while hubby did the dishes because I needed it to be tidy and then he didn't even get to finish because he was putting water in the birth pool for me and my daughter was, you know, hanging out and splashing in the pool with me and then watching Moana on the, the laptop. And and we, we'd let Michelle know that things were happening, but um, we didn't know when to tell her to come because how long is a piece of string? Um, but I knew that my, my waves or, or contractions were getting stronger and closer together and we did want her to take some photos. So, um, yeah, we had her come. And I feel like part of me was kind of holding on a little bit until she arrived because as soon as she got there, I felt my body just release that, that another level. Um, she didn't have to do anything. It was just literally her presence as she walked in. And so I think she arrived at, what, like seven, something's all captured on video. I had my iPhone sitting up in the corner and I was in the water um, there were a few times I was like, I need to release my bowels. And I was just going to, I said to my husband, like, I know you've got a thing about this, but I'm going to poo in the water. Like, this is what's happening right now. Um, and he's got a thing about it. He's got it. He was like a bit, yeah, he was like a bit, oh, there's poo in the, you know, I, th he, I think he's fine. Maybe I thought he had a bigger thing about it than he does. Right. But he said to me, do you want help going to the toilet? And I was like, you know, you're so suggestive at that point. You're like, okay, yes, that's fine. Like, let's go to the toilet. And I got out of the water and I felt so heavy and gross. 
And I sat on the toilet. I'm like, no, this is not going to work. I'm sorry, but this ain't happening. We need to get me back in the water. And it was just such relief to like feel more buoyant again. And the inflatable pools are so much more comfortable than the hospital pools because it's just soft and, and like a cloud. It just feels so much nicer to be in that, in that support. Um, and so I'd get a surge and I'd hop up onto the edge of the pool and I'd experience the surge and then I, it would stop. And then I'd collapse back down and I'd like read all of the affirmations and, and beautiful visuals I had up. Um, was your daughter there as well? Yeah, she was right there. She was pouring water over me in the pool and then she was getting a bit close to my my vagina um, as I was starting to really feel a lot of close contractions. So then I did say, like, guys, can you get her out of the water? So she went and watched a bit more. We had her set up with her Bose headphones or our Bose headphones and watching Moana so that she – but Michelle was kind of with her and then taking photos and then just – managing the whole thing so beautifully um there was a point at which I thought I don't know if I can do this with my daughter here maybe mum needs to come and get her and we had that as a backup plan because I just had no expectation of what it would look like um but once she got out of the water and just gave me a bit of space I was able to go inward and just connect with with new baby um and then I remember experiencing transition and then I felt the ring of fire but just before the ring of fire, I looked across and I kind of said to both Maddie and Michelle, I don't think I can do this. And she, you know, that just that knowing look of like, you already are, you already are. And at one point I decided like I was going to just kind of see what was going on inside. So I put my hand up inside and I could feel my baby's head at the top of my vaginal canal. So this was like, you know, before ring of fire feelings. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's right there. She is right there. I'm like verbalizing, like talking everybody through exactly what I'm feeling. I'm like, what's that? Like I can feel that hard surface. Um, and I could feel how her skin of her skull was like squished together. And because of the reading that I have done, I've also read Heather Baker's um, Birth on Your Own Terms, I think is the book, um, and learned about the things that like if this is happening, you definitely want to get to the hospital as soon as possible kind of thing. So I was like, okay, do we have a cord on top of her head? Nope, that's just her own head. There's no cord there. Okay, cool. We're good to go like path is clear um and so that was really really empowering because that was nothing that anyone had ever suggested to me anymore I was just like I'm just going to do this why wouldn't I feel yeah. myself why why would you have to have somebody like open you up and check you yeah like, and why do you need anybody's permission to touch your own body <laughs> oh, baby yeah. I know right yeah it's crazy it's so crazy and so yeah that that then gave me that kind of connection because everything's just you're feeling all of the things down there you're not sure what's happening and where where she is. Or so in doing that, I was like, okay, we're actually close. That gave me a bit more of a sense of how much longer I had, you know, it's not gonna be days <laughs> before she's coming out. Um and so from there it was just yeah, breathing and um some beautiful things that I found really useful, like wooden combs in my hands for the the pain gateway theory of squeezing the teeth into my palms every time I had a surge. My hubby was reminding me for loose lips. <laughs> to keep things relaxed down below um and he was toning so I'd asked him to hum for me um and that was helping with the rhythm um a lot and then yeah once I felt so I put my hand down again and, and she was like right there um and I think they could see that I was rushing so um you know I kind of said like okay I'm almost there I'm almost there like one more push and they're like just go at baby's pace just go at baby's pace and so I had my hand there and I was able to kind of slow things down and not rush as much and kind of almost not hold back but like just let it happen yeah. and I guided her head out with my hand and so then she was there um and then I wanted my husband to receive her 
Um, but another short cord. These babies have a short leash on me. So he couldn't get to her as, as close as he wanted to um, to kind of pass her up to me because he wasn't, there wasn't space. It was quite a small birth pool. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a hurry to kind of sit down because I was exhausted by that point once um, she was out. And so I flicked my leg up and over the umbilical cord and she he kind of like brought her up to me as she was kind of being pulled to me. And so she did come out of the water quite fast and was like a little bit stunned. Like that wasn't kind of the slower <laughs> arrival that we were we were planning to kind of, you know, swim her up slowly and gently. And so we just gave her a moment to come to and she looked at us all and just, just a moment. Like she didn't cry straight away. She just needed that moment to just kind of, wow, okay, I'm out here now. <laughs> this is a bit full on. And then all of a sudden she let out this beautiful big cry and, you know, snuggled her in. And then my daughter jumped back in the water and just just loving on this beautiful new baby that was right there. And then, oh, you know, it's over but it's not over. So getting the gift and challenge (laughs) of birthing my placenta naturally that I wasn't allowed to the first time around. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah, that that was amazing but also quite a, a challenge that my, my placenta took a good couple of hours to to release. Um, I obviously had some stuff that I needed to just process and integrate. But in the meantime, I was just boobing and snuggling and, yeah, all of the beautiful things and just so smooth, so normal. Like, But in contrast to the first time with the episiotomy and the vacuum assist and the taking my baby away from me, it was just so different. Magical. Magical. Got some incredible photos. But were you filming that birth as well? Yes. So I had uh, an iPhone set up kind of as a, a fly on the wall um, that I haven't done much with yet because a lot of it is, you know, the labouring process and the just going through the motions. Um, but Michelle did manage to capture her arrival on video. So I do actually have a, a birth video um, if you would like me to share that with you. And um yeah, the only challenge is that my toddler is naked in it because she was in and out of the birth pool and we didn't put any swimmers on her. So just whether Instagram decides that it's too much nudity. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm intrigued to know whether your postpartum journey after, after that birth um, felt or looked very different to I mean of course it's going to be different because you've also got a um a toddler <laughs> to manage as well but um but I mean more I guess at a heart level or a soul level did it feel very different after having experienced that incredibly empowering birth well I, I will go through the different kind of energy bodies of this because you know as a Reiki practitioner it's you've got the physical mental emotional and spiritual levels and so physically massive difference I had stitches I was recovering from to sit after my first birth was excruciating and I was very limited in how I could move around and and look after my new baby um I did a lot of side lay feeding which was lovely and it probably forced me to slow down but, you know, it took a lot to heal. So whereas this time around it was like a slight minor grazing, the only kind of discomfort was probably the scar from my episiotomy the first time around that had been stretched and the scar tissue from that that was uncomfortable. 
But otherwise, physically, you had to slow me down in the second postpartum. <laughs> and I had to, go, you know, I'd done the same thing with the beautiful like six-week sacred window. I'll let you guys know when I'm ready to see you. Thank you. But, you know, we choose who comes into our sacred space to see our baby unless you're wanting to dote on the mum <laughs> other than just hold my baby. You're not, you're not kind of welcome in the house. Love you, but but these are the boundaries. Um, and then having Michelle as the extra kind of level of support because she was, you know, coming and doing yoni steams with me and bringing food for me. And yes, we had paid for that, but she goes above and beyond. Like she is next level amazing in her in terms of how she supports a mother. Um, and then my parents were also present, whereas the first time around they were down in Sydney. So and that was by choice. Um, I, I wanted kind of I love my parents, but I, I I wanted to do it on my own and have that space. Whereas this time around they were able to help take my toddler and leave me to be with my newborn um, a bit more so physically great mentally and emotionally I guess different because I was already a different person but the rite of passage that I had undergone with the home birth and not having to leave the house was insane absolutely mind-blowing it felt peaceful it felt calm it felt safe in the postpartum Whereas the first time around, I felt scared to leave the house with my baby. And I guess now I'm like, oh my gosh, that's signs of trauma. That's like signs of trauma right there. Like I didn't, I, I wanted my midwives to come to me. The first time they said, okay, it's time for you to come to us at the midwife office. I'm like, I can't leave the house. I can't go anywhere. Whereas the second time around, I was like, okay, when, when are we going for our, you know, walk? Let's get out the house. And yes, I was enjoying being at home with my babies and not wanting to see anybody, but I also still wanted to do stuff. and. Crazily enough, I actually started a new business at three weeks postpartum because I was so like, you know, with my shampoo business, like I was so empowered. I was so creative. I was just like this new level of excitement was unleashed. I got to laser around and, and breastfeed my baby. And, and I just wanted to share this energy with the world. I'm starting to, I'm starting to appreciate why, why your Instagram handle is bubbly state. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like just an abundance of energy and a get up and go. But three weeks postpartum, starting your, you know, Monette business. Wow. <laughs> and that was another calling. It was that guidance. And and I now see that this journey to where I'm at now, it was like my baby was guiding me to this place because she wanted me to free birth. She wanted me to meet my beautiful friend Jess, who also had a wild birth and and world pregnancy and free birth experience and it's so much more than just how we're bringing our babies into the world it's how we're choosing to be with them into parenthood you know we're, we're getting to change we're getting to change the world I know it sounds far-fetched that like a business can do this but allowing us to stay home with our babies and create that secure attachment and not have to leave them before we're ready I knew I needed that with my first, but I didn't know what the option was. I was looking high and low to find this thing and I had not found it until now. And so not only was my labor and birth so magical, but into my postpartum being blessed with this opportunity that I could have ignored because I literally just wanted the shampoo to fix my hair from my first postpartum <laughs> hair mess. Um, and to see now like where, you know, not only it's, yeah, that bubbliness that returned for me that I didn't have that first time around as much and people could see it. They were witnessing it. They were like, what is going on here? And okay, definitely got to attribute a lot of it to the home birth and the, the, you know, the safety and the security that I felt in that situation. 
and the healing that happened as I went through that experience. But then also now the community that I have around me and, and, and I've lent into and am supported by because all of these like-minded women coming together for whatever birth experience they had but open to this generational ancestral sisterhood, motherhood, wound healing. Like it's massive. Yeah. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Is there anything you wanted to say about that? Deeper trust around my own intuition for my own health, for my children's health, for our daily activities. My connection to spirit, to divine, to God, like whatever people's belief system is, was so much stronger because of this experience. And I know for some people they won't relate to that and that's okay, like this is my story, but there's, it's actually not possible to put into words because it's a feeling. I don't know if I have the vernacular for it, but I'm a different person spiritually because of the choices that I made, because of the guidance I was given. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of chicken or the egg. It's like mm -hmm. the intuition led me to the experience, which led me to the deeper knowing. And the more I come back to that every single time, the more fulfilled I feel and the more I can be of service to everyone else. And, and that's just, I don't know, enlightenment does that. <laughs> it's mm. a bit of an intense word, but. No, not an, it's an obvious word, um, you know, in my, in my experience and, and um, both personal and in the many, many stories I have heard and witnessed. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Such is the power of these rites of passage, right? Like if we are willing to do the self-work because it, it is work, it is hard, we usually have to take ourselves to some pretty scary places um, to meet our fears and really face them and work through them in order to be able to access um, the yeah, the inner knowings, the inner power that we all have, the inner healing that is available to all of us, but we just, most of us just don't know how to access it. And it does, it takes a lot of self-work and, um, and this is the reward, this experience of being, of it being life. Well, I want to say lives changing. It's not just changing your life being the birthing person who's recognized and realized your own power your own inner wisdom but it impacts it has such incredible ripple effects doesn't it mm -hmm. like you know here you are sharing your story how many people are going to listen to this and your your daughter's stories and their children's stories and your partner's story and the friends who you guys have connected with and shared your story to, you know, like it has such incredible ripple effects. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I love it. I want to come back to one of the things you said you were working, needing to work through in your pregnancy, your second pregnancy was other people's fears. And you talked about how you worked through that with your man, but can, do you, is there anything you'd like to share about how you managed um, other people's fears or setting boundaries for yourself about protecting your energy, protecting your mindset in, in pregnancy? 
Yes. When I made the decision to free birth, I actually didn't share that decision with many people. So I kept that very private. When people would ask where I was birthing, I would say home birthing. And some people would come back with, you know, trying to share the horror stories. And I guess because I wasn't a first time mum, I was a little bit more immune to it because I knew what the alternative was. Whereas the first time around, when someone tried to tell me a story, I was like, la, 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 thank you, but no, thank you, bye. Um, Whereas this time around, I guess it was more of a bubble. And I I use that kind of Reiki or energy protection to just create a bubble around me and then just return to sender is just the thoughts that are happening in my mind. That's, That's your experience. That's not mine. You know, everybody's birth is different. And just having those mantras for myself and knowing like visualizing daily roughly what I wanted it to look like because obviously it would evolve as it was meant to but just seeing how it would look for me and it's funny because when I originally visualized it I actually couldn't see the midwives even for my first birth and so I think really my intuition was telling me that there weren't meant to be any and I get that free birth isn't for everybody like I, I totally understand that but empowering and educating ourselves and feeling the safest that we can is the right place for anyone to birth their baby. So most people were asking my husband where we were birthing and he was having to handle all of the, the repercussions of people saying, oh, home birth, that's, that's a bit crazy. Whereas when people would ask me, it's almost like because I had shared so much about the first experience so openly and that it, it wasn't how I'd intended and that I was working towards something different, it's almost like people expected it from me maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the crunchy mama home birthing her baby it's like okay yeah that's that's normal for days yeah right (laughs) yeah well I feel like we are yeah coming to a close with this with this conversation but um I want to ask that question that I like to ask um people who I get on on the podcast is uh, if you could go back to the pre-motherhood version of yourself and offer her one piece of wisdom what would it be Mm. I mean trust is the word that always comes to mind in terms of trusting in yourself and always doing the practices that allow you to come home to yourself to maintain your power um but also from a physical sense, and actually this is something I didn't share that was profound for me, so I really think that we should talk about it, is position of birthing. Like the pre-motherhood version of me thought I had such a good understanding of the body because I'm a PT, yoga, like all of the things, you know, wearing all the hats. I thought I knew my body so well, but I did not know the one key thing that when you take your knees wide, for some people it can close your pelvic outlet. This is imperative information for a third of the population so thank you Suzanne Swan I did um some yoga prep with her um she came and did a a private workshop with me and hubby at home and it was profound because she did some pelvic mapping for me she figured out that when I squat and take my knees wide my pelvic outlet closes and so she encouraged me to practice doing some knees in ankles out kind of positions I did not try and birth my first baby in that position at all I was knees as wide as they would go of course my baby was getting stuck so pre-motherhood version of me needed to know mm. pelvic outlet and then to trust. So know these options, but then trust. Come back to trust and surrender. How did you end up, what position did you end up birthing your second baby in? So I was very aware of 
leaning over the side of the birth pool mm-hmm. with my knees close and my ankles wide. Mm-hmm. And then when I felt like I needed a bit more space, I just popped one knee up. So I was kind of in that semi-kneeling position. But the first time around, any time I'd gone into that position, I was knees as wide as they would go, even in the lunge. Yeah, I I guess I, um, I'm reminded of your wee comment that you made a little earlier about spinning babies and that kind of being unhelpful, like that you that you were following the kind of the rule book, I guess, if you want to put it that way around, this is what I need to do in order to set myself up for the best experience possible, da, 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 da. When I'm kind of like interested, you know, if we if, if we could remove the, the teachings or the conditioning or whatever that caused you in your first birth to spread your knees to birth your baby, whether you would have naturally adopted a position that and I'm sure you would have so yeah thanks to the to the woman who did the you know the pelvic mapping with you and taught you about this and you know the knees together widens your pelvic outlet but actually I'm kind of more like we need to unlearn (laughs) a lot of the time actually about coming back to that word that you've initially used which is trust that we we absolutely know how to birth our babies without any conscious effort and in fact if we can just get rid of that that thinking brain and let our primal brain take over we are going to get into whatever position is going to be best for birthing our baby we're going to do the things that will cause us to feel most safe um, in birthing our babies we're going to you know, go into labour at the perfect time, whether that's 44 weeks gestation or 37 weeks gestation, you know, like, um, yeah, I just kind of feel like there's a lot to be said for unlearning, for unpacking the stories we have. Yes. Yeah. The limiting, the limiting beliefs set by others. And I guess that just comes back to trust Yeah, and keeping your own power. Keeping your own power, massive. Yeah, not giving that away to anybody else. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, my gosh, this has just been such a beautiful, beautiful talk, Stacey. Thank you so much for for coming on here, for sharing your story, for sharing your beautiful images. I can't wait to get get those on on my page to advertise this, um, this podcast episode. What a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute joy spending time with you. If you enjoyed that episode, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others and ensuring you subscribe and hit that five-star review. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I would love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions or because you're potentially interested in healing with me or training with me to become a healing birth practitioner. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.